three of Gardens of the Moon, we're back. So, Adam, what's your impression of the chapter? Um, it's I like it. It's uh, we start off with uh, Paran on the boat to uh, Genabaris, and uh, Topper pays him a little visit, and Paran's still like kind of a dick to him. He's he's really sort of rude to Topper more than he is to anyone else. It's quite weird. Topper always seems to try and be nice to him but I don't know he thinks he's really smug and he always tries to have a little go at him and, um, Perrin, yeah. the first thing he says after two years it says oh why don't you have other shades of green like what <laughs> <laughs> I kind of yeah. imagine um, Topper as this kind of like Robin Hood assassin Robin Hood you know always wears uh, Lincoln green yeah <laughs> so yeah but then uh, we get to see sort of what sort of uh, kind of uh, captain Ganos is going to be when he asks Topper uh, what he thinks of all the uh, which squad he's with and Topper says to him oh, do you know them all and he goes yeah yeah I know them all <laughs> it's like it's that he thinks it's important to know who all the squads are and who's in them and stuff like that and I think that's uh, sort of interesting yeah you know it's only now I, I notice just how arrogant Perrin is I mean I used to think he was just like this like a uh, guy with absolutely no tact but just Arrogant, like oh, I'm so cool. And uh, Topper, you're an idiot. Leave me alone. <laughs> he's only really like that with Topper, though. It's I don't know if he's got something against sort of Topper because he's like a high-ranking claw or what it is, but he's just he just really doesn't seem to like him at all. Yeah, no, it's, I like when um like uh, when Topper is talking to Parent, he's like telling him what to do. He says, Dujek needs to be disarmed." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ways. Take, take him down to uh, no arms, do Jack. Poor guy. <laughs> the one thing I, th- I didn't get is, like, what do they actually want to get Ganos to do to Sari? He's supposed to find a good moment to kill her or something? Yeah, I think he's got a killer, and sort of, I think Topper also suspects that she's corrupted the entire bridge burners or the entire squad or whatever, and that that's why there's all this talk of a mutiny that they're on the verge of sort of an insurrection with Dujak and Whiskey Jack leading the army but yeah you know it's like there's this there's a part in the beginning of the chapter where this unnamed agent is like waiting for him and he says like Ganos is green after two years like I'm wondering what was Ganos doing in the last two years like he couldn't have been just like tracking uh sorry for two years <laughs> I think it's um yeah it must be because when uh when the battle for pale took place, that was like two years after sort of Aaron had started oh, working with Lorne. So, well, I think he says that he's been sort of in Lorne's lap, getting uh, shaped into what he is now, which is basically just this pawn who's being sort of pushed around to further other people's aims. Yeah. And he, he sort of reflects on sort of what happened to the, the young idealistic boy that he was and all the rest. Yeah. He thinks he, do- he wouldn't recognize himself now and how much he's changed. I really like when they, like, the uh, agent laughs at him and says, You're going way over land. On <laughs> 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 the quarrels. Yeah. yeah, but I like the way he quickly gets, and this is the thing that, again, contrasting with Topper, is the agent initially sort of writes him off as some green noble and says, You know, the stink of nobility is, is not subtle. Um, but as soon as he starts talking to Parron, he sort of looks him in the face and he realises there's more to him and he, they start getting along pretty well until he sort of puts him on the back of a giant dragonfly and sends him on his way. <laughs> <laughs> so then we um, we switch scenes to back to Pale, where um, Tattersail looks at 
and sees Belurden being uh, mourning for his lover. I mean, dude, he's like walking around with like the sack with like guts of a Nigel. Like, dude. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like a burlap sack full of body parts that's been slowly rotten over the last five days. <laughs> I like how, it's crazy. I like how Bluridan, like talks like in Shakespearean, like, when the something, something, I will go bear, build a barrel for my love. Yeah, yeah Belladin's deep. And uh, the, I guess the opening poem of the chapter the, kind of like reminds of him, because it's about the uh, Tarpino, Thelen, and Tobakai. Um, yeah. And then, uh, for some reason, Tattersail asks him for to use a, a ceiling spell, a night chill, which is kind of odd, but I think I know what, uh, what it's foreshadowing. Yeah, I think it's just to, um, the, the ceiling is just to sort of stop the smell from bothering everyone. Um, yeah, and then we have, uh, again, the bridge burners, when they're standing on the hill, and then Whiskey Equip then says, Last time I was here, I was here with the mage and a half. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And then, um, I like the way he's, it's interesting that he's, uh, in support of Taysha and he doesn't believe Taysha and would have tried to kill them and all the rest. Bookman doesn't believe that. Uh, Belladin, uh, oh, he says that Tatian's always been the protector and the old emperor was mad and if it wasn't for Tatian, they all would have been killed long ago and all the rest. Yeah. And so we have, uh, again, we have a discussion between the, uh, Calam, Whiskey, and Whiskey Jack and Quick, and then, uh, they're talking about this poor guy who basically after the, uh, disaster, he gives a stupid talk about, uh, valor and heroism and, uh, to the remaining bridge burners and then they find him, like, strangled to death. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. Well, they weren't very happy with that news, were they? But I think it was actually uh, the uh, the 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 claw master was killed by. Sorry. What? I think later on, later on, we hear that uh, Sorry was uh, possibly involved in that uh, garroting that guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh... Count suspect as like a way to blame the uh, fridge burners. Uh, could be. And then, then one of them says, You're sounding rehearsed. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, Callum and uh, Quick yeah. Ben have got this little routine where they're either gonna, either gonna work <laughs> Whiskey Jack, and he's just like, No, 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 come on. Enough <laughs> of the script, guys. This is not fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit meta, I guess. Yeah. And then we have uh, another scene with uh, Tayshran and uh, and uh, Tattersail raiding the deck again. And basically, like the deck drag is basically like symbolizing what's going on going on around in the story, like in a symbolic way. Like uh, you know, if um, Shadow Thrones wakes up and says the House of Shadow is rising, or whatever. And then we get we identify Sari as a, a Virgin of Death. Yeah. And then she's, of course, instantly followed by the rope. Yeah. <laughs> the Game of Thrones on a cosmic scale, basically, between uh, all the different uh, houses, Shadow, Darkness, uh, Opon. It's uh, really cool. Yeah. And, uh, then there's, the, there's that part that was really touching about when uh, 
when like uh, Tarasso is reflecting on how this young messenger is probably going to be dead soon. The Empire had many crimes dimming its banner, but this was the worst of them. Yeah. So yeah, she, she she really feels for the uh, the rank and file uh, troops. Uh, you, you get the sense of that in the the battle for Pale, uh, when everything's getting blown up, and she knows that the the troops are coming to her for protection, and she can't give it. Yeah. Then uh, we have it mentions that the seventh that the tenth the army is based mostly made up of recruits from seven cities. It says like they're unruly and rebellious, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it it does sound like a bit of a mob, this army, and they're just sort of on the verge of uh, snapping, really. I would. I would snap. Uh, then, <laughs> then we have, we meet uh, Talk the Younger himself, and he gives a bit of a another meta speech. Like, We're all out of our depth here. To start with what's right in front of you, ignore the rest for now. Yeah, Basically, I think it, Erickson instructing how to read. Yeah, I think it's pretty sad that uh, Parent says he hasn't had anyone he could call a friend in over two years. Uh-huh. That's uh, that's quite sad. Yeah, but I suppose it's uh, it's a lonely path being a, a young noble up and comer in the military. <laughs> Yeah. I, I'd like to talk a lot, actually. He's one of my favorite characters. And so he leads um, Perrin into the into Pale, and he meets Picker, who's um, not exactly nice. Uh. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, <laughs> she's great, isn't she? Just sitting there picking her teeth, lying in bed, like, yeah, what do you want? What's to do with you? <laughs> and, then, and then when she realizes who dead. he is... <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna die. <laughs> We're all taking bets on when someone stabs you in the back. Which <laughs> isn't that long. Yeah, and then we get uh, Antsy as well coming up, and he sort of comes up with his great big massive mustache, and he sort of when Paran leaves, he sort of says, oh, but you know, be a shame if that guy got killed. He's, you know, he's someone else. People tend to warm to him quite quickly when they meet him. Uh, once they look him in the face, he's got sort of a look about him, I think. Probably that after what he saw uh, with the massacre with the hounds. Uh, yeah. He's probably got that kind of the look of a soldier in his eyes, even if he does look like a sort of pipsqueaker uh, noble. How much of a soldier, I mean, did, has, he, has he ever done any much fighting uh, up till now? I don't think so. Well, I think the, the Ikokan massacre was his... His first posting when he sort of sort of did the clean up operation on the hounds, and then I don't think I don't know what he's done since then, but I get the impression that he's not had the chance to draw his sword yet. I'm pretty sure that he gets yeah, he says that good. once or twice. I'm the captain who has drawn drawn sword yet. That's what he basically says. Yeah. Uh, so basically, like this chapter is Erickson's way of uh, introducing the rest of the Bridgeburners to Gamos. You have a uh, Picker, Hedge, uh, Trots, Hensy, everyone is bad at cards. Yeah, and I, I like the way when he walks into the inn and he sees Trots from behind the Bargast, and he knows instantly, oh, that's the ninth, because that's the only Bargast in the bridge burners, and it's like he wasn't just bullshitting uh, when he said to Topper that he knew all the squads. He, he had learned that, so he's he's not just sort of resting on his laurels and thinking, you know, I'm a... 
I'm a noble and I've got the adjunct working for me. I've, he's actually sort of making an effort himself, trying to do a good job. His name's Trotz not because he want likes to walk. <laughs> but what, why is it? Is it something like the cow has trotters or something? Like uh, trots. Trots is like a sort of slang in uh, this part of the world for diarrhea. Oh. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if he has uh, stomach problems when they're on the road, or if that's just that's just me putting my regional bias on it. But if you say someone's got the trots, it means uh, they can't control the bowels. Oh, I, <laughs> and, uh, I like how Eric's, Erickson does a pretty good job in this chapter of bringing us into Yano's uh, thoughts, like how he basically understands like he's not as cool as he thinks he is. Yeah. Like he, he comes here and it's, it doesn't matter how many uh connections you have, how many how much money you have when you're actually at the front. Yeah, and I mean as as he finds out almost instantly after arriving <laughs> when he leaves the inn and uh, manages to get himself stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> that's good that's pretty that's pretty decent luck for a character in the um yeah, yeah, he's not done badly. He's been in town 40 minutes and he's already sort of lying in the gutter bleed. Three chapters is not, uh, just not disgraceful for a character in, uh, Ericsson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, how many people died in the, the, the first or second chapter? The first one, well, a few hundred, <laughs> the second one, <laughs> The world could be destroyed by the end of the book, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Maybe they'll move on to the next planet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have a very uh, interesting scene, basically a dialogue between uh, Amanis and Cotillion while uh, Perrin is dying. So, yeah. Which, is, yeah, it's like, it's another example of uh, Erickson's ability to, uh, to like, hint without exactly giving everything away, but if you're smart, imagine you realize what he's talking about. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry, is a goddess. She has something to do with shadow. <sighs> yeah, exactly, and it it all calls back to um the, the first chapter when they yeah. were ta- when they were taken. Sorry, and then Riga's speech about how a shadow will pass over your heart, and that's obviously yeah. the the possession. So, you know, it's funny. Sorry and and Ganos are actually pretty similar if you, if you think about it. I mean, they're both well, not that similar. Parent hasn't. Murdered in one end, cold blood, but um, they're both kind of like corrupted by their by gods using them. Like, well, at least Heron does next chapter. Yeah, and yeah. he's not just used by gods; he's he's used by Lorn as well. So, yeah. in effect, you've got the pawn of Catillon he's and the pawn of the Empress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So th- this chapter was basically. Uh, bring together the two threads we've had so far. Basically, so unite like chapter one plus chapter two plus chapter three. Yeah. So maybe I could call this chapter uh, like the addition table, or another, I don't know, or meta incorporation. <laughs> I want. I wanted to. I had a name. I wanted to make some kind of pun because uh, Paran gets stabbed. And his yeah. middle name's Stabro. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, get Stabroed or, <laughs> or Stabroed in the back. Or, I don't know. They're, they're all terrible. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
so yeah, well, of course, yeah, I like this, you in your notes, uh, pro tip, if a character ever ends a chapter in their own point of view, fading to black, and seemingly mortally wounded, it's a 95% chance, chance of survival. Yeah, yeah, nobody nobody ever dies in a book under those circumstances. You you see some from someone else's eyes a person getting torn limb from limb. That person's dead. Yeah, if I someone think if, of, um, <laughs> of an example where that doesn't hold true in a song of ice and fire, although maybe it does. I think it'd be you know, well. We'll have about. to find that. No, that's why I think that that's not a death. <laughs> because... Yes, it is. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, I believe we have a listener name for, uh, for this chapter. Uh, one Felix Vallader on the Reddit threads called this Chapter 3, Emissions, Half-Truths, and, outright, and Outright Lies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. I like that. Um, there's another one which doesn't seem uh, much connected to this chapter, which is do Daruji stand what you're getting into? Oh, maybe it does. It's kind of like ties into what uh, Talk said. Uh, do you do Daruji stand what you're getting into yet? <laughs> yeah, I love. I love. Know, yeah, although we don't actually get into Daruji stand till next episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Though. There's so many great characters there. Oh, uh, that's it. I think for, for this chapter. Yeah. And so uh, into chapter four, which I think is uh, a bit uh, richer and I think longer. Chapter four. Ah, uh, yeah. We start with the um, a poem by Talk, actually, which is interesting. I mean, we just met him last chapter already. We're reading this poetry, like uh, this is a pretty deep immersion of relationship. Yeah, it's it's. I love the uh, the little sort of meta sort of a uh, uh, elements you get with the with the verses at the beginning of the chapters where it'll be sort of a piece by a historian and then later on you'll meet that character or there'll be a, something by a poet or that you've already met or that you meet later down the road and it's just these little callbacks and the way everything sort of threads together is just a uh, I find that really appealing and uh, talks quite the poet as well he's he's got quite the way with words yeah <laughs> flame not arches I like uh I like how uh, Erickson manages to find different uh, synonyms for bridge burners in these verses. Yeah. Flame knot arches, uh, vanishing stands. Yeah. So uh, we start off with, uh, as we say, Tattersail saying that Herlock is insane. <laughs> like, <laughs> thanks uh, for the memo. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, he's a, pu- a man's soul <laughs> trapped in a puppet. And how much more do you need? <laughs> Everyone is basically a poet, puppet in this book. Mm. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. Maybe Hairlock's the reader. Yeah. Hairlock's the reader? <laughs> Wait, what? what? No, no, no. <laughs> We're all puppets. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to reread everything now. Again. Like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think too much about it. <laughs> I like it when you say like uh, X character is the reader. I like uh, like those kind of theories, but they're probably not based on anything. Uh, so yeah, so when we start the conversation between Tattersail and Quick Ben and Whiskey Jack about how basically how they're going to proceed with their little plot to uh, discredit uh, Tishra and they're using the Hairlock to trace things to the Warrens of Chaos, and that's apparently very dangerous for the uh, Warren system. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this at this point, I'm kind of imagining all these just sort of tubes, and he's just, like, digging his way from one tube to the next tube, sort of, yeah. and leave it, like, sort of almost, like, going through, uh, like, underground tunnels, and he's weakening them because he's going in between them all and stuff like that. There's crazy stuff between the tunnels, like maybe um, mutants or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Chaos sounds like a really interesting place, although I don't know. Headlock is a pretty mysterious character. I mean, did we ever get much uh, backstory on him? I don't think, uh, so. I don't think so, no. I think we sort of get an introduction to him in Chapter 2, where he's just like kind of this kind of sleazy, uh, argumentative, uh, smarmy uh, mage and he's sort of going on about how he's got deals and he knows what's going on and yeah. all the rest of this stuff and then he gets ripped in half and put into a puppet <laughs> apart from that we don't really know much about him <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean he doesn't seem to be like uh, like one of those high mages or ancient ones like you know like a Tattersail or like a Lurgan doesn't seem to be that hot just but maybe is you know is supposed to be a high mage but for some reason she uh, refused um I don't know why. Yeah. It's because of the guilds or something? I think it could be because uh, some of the problems that she had. I think Fiddler mentioned that she, she botched her first command or something like yeah. that. So maybe she's not doesn't feel comfortable taking that sort of level of responsibility. She already struggles with the responsibility she has to her squad and to her cadre and stuff like that. So I think she's that doesn't want to take on that much of a burden. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting, like, um, it's, it's actually addressed, like, so for some reason, Calum managed to leave the claw alive, and which, I have no idea how he did that. To this day, I have no idea how I managed to leave the claw. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's ever explained, it's just kind of like, he's such a badass that they just thought, yeah, okay, we'll, yeah. we'll let him go. <laughs> he's totally, he totally overpowered, I'm sorry, like, he's like this huge guy. Who's uh, also like really sneaky, graceful, whatever. Like this big uh, buff guy who also manages to sneak around and like stab people in the back. Yeah, I, you get a lot. In, I think there's quite a lot in Malazan of these sort of really beefcake guys who should be sort of slow and lumbering, but they're still like the fastest thing you've ever seen as well. Ferguson's so. kind of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, um, and of course, well, here we discover something not very, uh, hidden, which is, of course, that Chatterthrone and, and Cotillion are actually dancing and Karanvid, like the Emperor, who did, was not actually killed, but was, rather became gods. Which, uh, you know, I mean, like, I, I keep reading about how you shouldn't read, uh, Night of Knives, which is, like, the first Esselmont book. Because it like spoils that, but it's barely a spoiler considering it's uh, basically heavily, heavily applied this early. But yeah, I mean, Tattersail almost almost comes out and says it. She says, I think she thinks about how she makes the connection no between those two disappearing and the reemergence of this Warren, and then she goes, "Oh, it's so obvious." No, but no one say about uh, Shadow Throne or, or Cotillion before. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't make that connection first time through. I didn't, it didn't occur to me until I think Fiddler and Callum talk about it in like one of the future books. I think Deadhouse Gates. Yeah. I think that's when it sort of came through to me, but it's, 
it's it's right there, and it, it is sort of fairly obvious, I suppose. But yeah, smarter people than us probably used it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's always one guy who picks up on it first time through, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I knew that." Dragging in our mouths and saying, "Oh, I didn't find the fucking dead times of the moon at all." Uh, okay, well, maybe not bragging, but uh, still, uh, yeah. So then uh, it's mentioned where they're talking about like the Warren of Shadow, how it's like it disappeared. Uh, it was this only reemerged very recently after thousands of years. It says like the fur it was originally occupied by a Tisted door, and I'm like, yeah, them. Is you know the Tista Dura. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then it's this thing where Tata Sales like, what's a Tista Dura? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. She's like, yeah, he's, do you know? He's <laughs> pretty ignorant for like uh, high, ma- high mages. Like, uh, like uh, on all the, the, the early chapters, like, oh, who's the Lord of uh, what Moon Spawn? Who's the, uh, who, who that guy with Tista and the Eye? I have no idea. Um, it's uh, kind of disconnected, but uh, as we noted, it's like, this book was written. A lot before. And, uh, yes, we will hear a lot about just a door as the books go on. And if we're talking about uh, future books, you know, the series was actually planned to be 10 books from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I saw this, I read this interview from 2000, like between the first and the second book, where, like, uh, Erickson talks about it. And it's actually a bit, it's actually a pretty good interview. I mean, I, I recommend uh, reading the uh, interviews with Erickson if you're, at least from those, like, that are before the last book you read, so you can don't get spoiled with this like so if you only read up to the Bone Hunters, don't really read ones from two thousand seven or later. But yeah, I, I would definitely recommend reading uh, oh. interviews with Erickson. There are several, like you go to his Wikipedia page and there there are like uh, references just at the bottom of the page. Oh that's great. I'll have to check those out. Um, and also he answers questions about the books on the tour reread or something. Although I haven't really gone through that one. No, I've, I've I've not looked at that, but uh, it's qu- probably quite quite interesting for us since we're basically doing the, the same yeah. thing in audio. <laughs> the audio form. Yeah. Well, you can listen to us while you're driving. <laughs> so, so yeah, the where, where we're up to is the bridge burners are trying to figure out. They need to know if Tashrim was acting on his own, or if he was acting on Lassine's orders, or someone else in the Empire. Who obviously wants them dead, and uh, obviously everyone wants them dead. It seems. Uh, <laughs> they, did burn, they did burn their bridges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Tata Sales sort of trying to press them on. You know, what do you intend to do when when you find out? Are you just going to expose Tatian, or are you going to try and you know do this big rebellion that everyone's talking about? And uh, they managed to sort of eventually talk around to being on their side without actually answering those questions, <laughs> yeah. which is quite it's sneaky. Just like Erickson, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and um, one of them says, like, uh, maybe Whiskey Jack says, uh, we look at Sari and we see reflections of ourselves, which I think is a pretty good quote. I mean, they, they think uh, Sari is like a huge psychopath, whatever, but like, uh, like, way removed from, like, them. But if you take, like, a zoom out of that, the soldiers are like, what are they doing? They're killing for a living. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was a, a pretty good quote. And then there's another quote, uh, like, the uh, um, Whiskey Jack says, my squad was of the scared witless of a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, think I, read that, like, I think I read that in the Skyrim Guard Zip voice. 
actually imagine. I just realized that I read every every thing that a male character says in like a Skyrim voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know what voice I read things in. I sort of tend to just assign them like a random voice. Like, uh, oh, he's not turned up yet, but there's a character we'll come to in Daru just then. And I just imagine oh. him as like, um, uh, the guy who runs the market stall at the beginning of the Aladdin cartoon. The guy who's telling the whole story. It's just, uh, that's, uh, what, that's the, uh, it, definitely. Arabian Night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a good choice. <laughs> so Fiddler is channeling uh, everyone in Star Wars. He says he's got a bad feeling. <laughs> yeah, he's got a bad feeling. <laughs> yeah, Fiddler gets that, doesn't he? It's an uh, interesting tattersale thinks that he he might be a natural talent. Um, yeah, and apparently this saved them from uh, the. Survivors of the bridge burners because they got out of the tunnels in time. That's yeah. Terrible. So yeah, that's uh, I would rely on this guy uh, and filling along. <laughs> and so after this uh, little meeting scene where everyone's trying to trick everyone else, we have Gandalf shows up at literally Hood's gate. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. That that is just epic. I mean, like everyone's talking about, like, oh, who's gay? Like, uh, go to hell. Or, like, you know, everything's gone to hood here. And then, apparently, literally goes to hood. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fid- Fiddler ends up saying, doesn't he? There's there's a knife in the dark with blood on it, which is obviously uh, the knife that stabbed Parent. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he basically wakes up uh, in with the the Opon, the twin gods of uh, luck. He's standing up and saying, ah, we're using you. Ah. <laughs> yeah, and they're sort of trying to figure out what they can do with him, and, and they choose his sword uh, to imbue rather than give him a coin or anything as cliche as that. Give him a sword. Uh, <laughs> his sword, which, which of course, he, he named Chance when he, when he picked it up, I think, in Chapter Classic. 1. I don't Everyone know if the, uh, has named their sword. Did that even really happen with most people like in history? I mean, there were a few famous swords, like uh, Charlemagne had one, uh, I forgot what it was called, and then there was uh, Excalibur, but I don't think it's historical, but did people really like name their swords in real life? It doesn't sound, uh, it doesn't ring authentic. I don't know, I think perhaps in sort of medieval times that, that would have been a more sort of commonplace thing. And I think like American Marines named the the guns and stuff like that. So, you know, like in a Full Metal Jacket, the drill sergeant has them all uh, signing the rifles a name, uh, and they have they have to say uh, what the name is when he prompts them. He's like, "What's that weapon's name, oh, sir?" But that, the rifle's name is Charlene, sir. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't think uh, most of like the common peasant soldiers had like swords in the middle and the ages, and swords were pretty expensive. So maybe those who did were like uh, fancy enough to think of cool names. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a fantasy trope, isn't it? Names, yeah, swords, seeing, stuff like that. But seeing Lightbringer. Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, like um, the Opon are talking about um, Hood's games. They saying they're referred to some like cults that like drown their victims in the bog, and that kind of reminded me of uh, Lindo Man. There's like this uh, archaeologist uh, man was found. With like, spar in the bog, and, uh, 
Cheshire, Yorkshire. Uh, ah. Uh, so you know, Erickson is an archaeologist. So I was wondering if the um, was, that was like kind of a reference, like he was drowned in the bog. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, mean, I, I like the way um, a lot of the sort of stuff that they do is is sort of uh, is histo- historically uh, yeah. referencing. At least it might not be entirely accurate, but it's all inspired by sort of true histories and sort of the way that the empires and the the structures of societies and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and then uh, so then this shifting guy shows up to talk to uh, negotiate with Ilpon. It's like once a trail, once a little girl, once an old woman, once a uh, desiccated standyan. Like oh, decide already. I, I love the way um, it comes out, and he's like this uh, sort of comedy character. Uh, yeah. this, this revenant of Hoddy. <laughs> reminds me of someone I can't, I can't remember who, who it was. I mean, is it someone we know? Uh, maybe not, but it does sound I, like someone we know. Yeah, sure. I, I, Hood, Hood in general kind of gives me a, a Terry Pratchett death vibe uh, throughout yeah. the series because he yeah, seems like a sort of, kind of a, a, ca- a kindly sort of a r- rueful death. He's kind of quite sad about the souls that he has to take, and he's quite melancholy. And he has sort of a few one-liners that he drops here and there as well. Uh, but I like the fact that when the Revenant leaves after he's finished negotiating with Oppon, he waves before he goes <laughs> into the portal. He's like, bye bye. He's <laughs> uh, like, Cathal sneaks the ill. That was very, uh, tragedy. He like went like, uh, parents saying like, oh, no, not me. Not, not someone else. Please take me. <laughs> yeah. Cathal sneaks the ill. Like, <laughs> drama queen, basically. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the jesters aren't interested in that. They just want amusement. They don't want to see him sort of beg for his loved ones. <laughs> yeah, uh, Parent is still arrogant. He's just uh, doesn't learn. Any. I mean, I mean, you die and he's still a bit annoying. It's uh, I don't know how man does it. From uh, death to life, uh, we ship where we uh, ship to these two unnamed guards. Pale, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, life pro tip: never be an unnamed character. <laughs> so actually, in the first scene they appear, they they don't die yet. They're like talking <laughs> to Callan, who tells them that if uh, woman chose woman shows up, they should like tell him. Uh, but yeah, oh, and <laughs> one of them is like uh, keeps uh, stating the obvious, like this is this is a shitty night, and I'm like, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's how you know it's the same two guards later on because they're bickering about one of them uh, overstating the obvious again when <laughs> the heart attacks them. <laughs> now that I think about it, it sounds like kind of like that sketch in um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where like there's the stupid guards. Um, have you seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Yeah, yeah. Or the stupid guards who do have the like cards, literally probably retarded or something. They can't understand what uh, the king's trying to tell them. Although actually, uh, I, I, that's like my least favorite Monty Python skin. Now that I think about it. It's like funny, it's like just do like guards or bickering, like like about something yeah. stupid. Kind of like uh, at the beginning of the movie, actually, with the uh, <laughs> European swallows. <laughs> Stop saying the obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's there's a lot of sort of hidden humor in these books. Uh, yeah. Erickson seems to have quite a a sort of absurd uh, sort of comedic uh, approach he's he likes to sort of invert things in in quite a silly way like i say with like again the revenant waving and some of like the, the banter and the bickering of some of the characters that you get yeah. 
the way the gods interact with each other. Uh, like Shadow Thrones, Shadow really Thrones, funny. I think he's like this this crazy little old man who's like giggling and throwing tantrums and hissing at everyone. He's just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a so yeah, so we have them talking. There's like this atmosphere of like gloom and impending doom and stuff, you know, selling over pale. And then uh, for some reason, um, Tatterstill, everyone keeps talking about Barrows in this chapter. <laughs> like um, uh, Tatterstill sees the uh, Mason of Death, who I don't think I can like, reveal who it is, but I mean it's not that important. Talk point wise, but I think I uh, you know who the Mason of Death is, right? Yeah, it's like a grave digger type thing, isn't it? So I was thinking, someone we know. There's, there's a there's a lot of burial mounds going up around. Paris it was like Barrows, so. like uh, at the end of one of the scenes, uh, Tadzio thinking like, uh, is that are they building a barrel for us all? Like, ooh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so that's basically a theme, and then actually Fiddler and uh, Whiskey Jack talking about they both used to be like stone cutters and. Uh, Malaz City before they were like trained to be soldiers. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> they, they, talk, just... they talk about how uh, Head, uh, Hedge or Ancy basically adopted that brat, Baron. Yeah. <laughs> he is a brat. Yeah, that's because he, uh, because he uh, threatened to beat him at cards. Uh, Hedge is like, oh, I like this guy. He's, he's alright. We've got, <laughs> we've got to look after him now, guys. And everyone else is like rolling their eyes going, oh, God. Hedge has picked up another stray. Ah, <laughs> uh, Hedge. Sappers, yeah. And uh, then well, we have um, Whiskey Jack and the rest of the team basically ship out on the buck... I'm sorry, no, quarrels. <laughs> To, uh, Rujistan. I'm <laughs> like thinking they're a bit like Buckbeak, like you're holding on desperately, not the Faha. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that's gonna be weird, riding a giant dragon flag. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was noting that paramount. And then we have a scene I didn't really talk that much about in my notes, but it's pretty much the, uh, pivotal scene of this chapter, which is of course the, uh, hound attack. So, yeah, here Locke goes to uh, full-out psycho. <laughs> I love the way he locks himself in his little wooden box when he knows the hands come. <laughs> a bit of a fairy tale thing, actually. Like, uh, toys have to hide, like a toy story, like toys have to hide from, uh, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, here Locke's like, uh, uh, on your, uh, on your quarry gear, the gear is like the, uh, hound. I don't know what the meaning here is to mean. Anyway, like, I'm a query. <laughs> He's like, he really should, I'm like I was saying, there should really be like a, a Malazan uh, role-playing game. Like, kind of like Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> it would be pretty epic. I'd like, I'd like to play a game in the, the Malazan universe. I think it would be really good. I think there's enough material uh, for, for any number of games, but... Yeah, like, I mean, I don't think you could do all of the worlds, but let's say one in uh, Genovacus would be cool, or one in uh, Seven Cities. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's pretty epic, uh, how it with a parent basically saving the, uh, the, the uh, sword. But the, the thing is, he's still being uh, a pawn of Okan. Yeah, that's it, they've... They've sort of imbued his sword now, so it's it's sort of god-touched, isn't it? So that's what enables him to cut through the hound's magic and actually get a stab in on it. Yeah. Wow. 
so pairing as like the theme song well it should like I'm being used again down now 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 <laughs> yeah I love the way uh, just in the scene before as well uh, Tattersale says that Parent's going to be used like a sword and it's oh. like <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's like that is so close <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, so it was a pretty epic chapter this time, and, uh, Tishran is still threat, and we yet again hear the spinning coin. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, it took me at least two or three reads of the book to understand what that was, uh, coin was about. Um, I think I, I think yeah. I understand what's going on with that. Yeah, I think that the coin spinning just represents the, there's a lot of things where chance can go one way or the other that haven't yet been decided, and that's why people keep hearing this spinning coin just as yeah. up and still in the game. Uh, oh, I'm, uh, they're pretty shifty fellows. <laughs> like, uh, they're just there to have. They just want to watch the world burn, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, they basically. It's kind of like when you play The Sims and you. Like, he's a cheat to, we used to make one sim slaughter everyone else. Uh, yeah. You get him like a, <laughs> Put them in a room with their no doors and no windows. <laughs> <laughs> We've all done this, don't we? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like 99% of what the sims is, isn't it? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah. Building elaborate mazes and traps for your sims. <laughs> yeah. So, I think, uh, since we've already had kind of covered two uh, chapters this time, I guess it's, okay, we're a bit shorter than last time. Um, so, yeah, that's the end of, that's also the end of, uh, book one. That's first sub-book. All the, uh, Muslim books are developed, divided into sub-books. Book one, uh, Pale. And, uh, next episode, we're going to cover all of, uh, book two, Gurujistan, which is yeah. chapters five through seven. Really and, looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I hope you all you enjoyed and we, as always um, we have our Facebook page just uh, search for Malazan FM podcast on uh, where I'm always posting on our Malazan there's links there and we are re- we have recently thanks to Adam uh, been posted to iTunes uh, I think we're still waiting on Apple's no, 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 approval this guy, for that. Uh, this guy on Facebook said he meant uh, I've seen it Oh sweet, that's great, and yes. it should be on should be on Stitcher as well, Stitcher sure, FM. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, here we are, <laughs> iTunes. So yeah, go to iTunes and uh, search uh, Miles on FM by Jonathan and Adam. That should get you there, and of course you'll see it when we post this episode, and we have a Stitcher link currently. <laughs> <laughs> so good stuff. We don't steal our stuff, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's okay if you send this podcast to your friends, but don't to claim you made it. So yeah, that's it for this week, I believe. Uh, yeah, good stuff, and uh, see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Yes. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <Wait> <laughs>